Amen. You're like, uh-oh, what's about to happen, right? Uh, we are starting this new series, and uh, it's so exciting to think about how God speaks to everything in life. He speaks to every situation. His word is so alive. It's active. It is something that when we get it into our life, he has something to say about every situation, whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we're in a good spot in our marriage or a tough spot, God is going to show up through his word. And God is good. And he's got great plans. So I just want to put you at ease with that. Because I, I think some of you are like, there's, there's something about to happen and we're not sure what it is. I just want to tell you, God is good. And he, he's got good plans. And his word is good. It's going to be really great to be a part of. Before we enter into his word and to this series, I, I just want to take a moment and just pray pastorally for us but also for those that have been directly affected uh, by Ian. Uh, God was good to our area, but many of us are connected to the West Coast, and we know people that are, that are rebuilding and that are going through things right now. And we want to be a beacon of hope and light and life and, and his love in every season, even one like this. Amen? So let me pray over that, and then we're going to dive into his word. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you that you are good, and that even in the face of this storm that uh, our state and parts, other parts of our country ha has gone through, that God, uh, you are still able to be trusted. You are worthy of our worship. And so, Father, we thank you for your protection on, on this east side of, of Florida. We also lift up our brothers and sisters and fellow Floridians on the west side that are rebuilding right now. God, we pray for hope and life. We pray for your light to shine into their situations, that each of them would find you in new ways. Father, may your church here in Florida and throughout the nation be your hands and feet, and may we love all people in our pathway. And Father, as we turn to your word right now, I just pray for peace. I pray for joy. I pray that your word would be so alive and active that it would bring exactly what you intend, which is health and wholeness for each of us. We thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. So as we dive into this, I want to just point out the series is rated PG-13. That is because if you've read Song of Solomon recently, there are things in there that are PG-13. And we're going to get to a little bit of it today. Now what PG-13 means is parents... Your kids are engaged in these conversations elsewhere in the world. They are being inundated with this stuff every day about the world's idea of what love and, and relationships and sex looks like. And so you, as a parent, need to be involved, need to be engaged. And so that is the invitation as well with the PG-13 is to engage as parents and show your kids what God's word says. Amen? So let's dive in, in Song of Solomon, verse 1, it says this, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, and I'm going to just stop there, believe it or not. Uh, you see, this is actually indicating that this song was written to be sung, but it was also considered, and in, in the, the language around this would indicate that it's the best song, it's the greatest song, and, and so I've wondered, like, for you, are there songs when you think of a wedding or you think of love that come to mind? Maybe it's, if you're married, your own wedding song, right? 
What is the best song of all time? Uh, recently, some of you uh, that have seen on social media, there was something that went viral around corn. A few of you know what I'm talking about. Somebody took this little boy who talked about corn and how wonderful and delicious and great it is. This thing went viral. Somebody turned it into a wedding song. I'm not saying it's the best, but it's pretty interesting. Let me just play it for 30 seconds. anything into a wedding song, I guess, right? I mean, here, here's the thing. When I, uh, this last uh, summer, I did a wedding, and one of the songs uh, that they chose was Refiner. And, and this song, Refiner, was so fitting, a little bit more than corn, uh, because this song, Refiner, spoke of the reality that a relationship with another is like a relationship with God. It calls us to be refined, to be made more like him. And, and often what we see is the interaction with the people closest to us, whether we're married or not, are the very things that lead to us being more like Jesus. Like marriage is designed not for our happiness. You'll hear me say this a number of times during the series, but for holiness. It's designed to bring us to be more holy. In fact, historically, if you look at the book of Song of Solomon, there's actually a rabbi, Akaba, in AD 135 that said this, uh, Jewish rabbi, about the book, the Song of Solomon, or the Song of Songs. He says, in the entire world, there is nothing equal to the day on which the Song of Solomon was given to Israel. All the writings are holy, but the Song of Songs is most holy. And I put that in front of us to say, as we dive into this, there is a song being sung in this text that invites us into not just a vertical relationship with the Lord and, and what it means to, to grow with him, but into horizontally, how do we live? How do we apply this? How do we see this in our daily life? And so let's move to the next couple of verses, verse 2 and 3. What you're going to see in this throughout Song of Solomon is an interaction between King Solomon and a princess, his bride-to-be, many believe, uh, and the interaction starts actually with her here in verse 2. It says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. Now, in these first few verses, you're going, that's in the Bible? It is. It is, and again, it's designed to help us grow. So this message is geared around this idea. The series is geared around what does it mean to win at love. Today is geared around love goals. Can you say that with me? Love goals. And, and here's why I want you to understand this. Winning is probably in some ways, if we think of 
one person winning, another losing, the wrong metaphor. Now you go, well, pastor, why did you name the series that? Because often in God's word and with the Lord, he's countercultural and wants us to be, wants us to learn something new. And, and so part of it is what we'll see today is we've got to define what our goals are to really understand what winning looks like. And in these first couple of verses, what we see is to celebrate a love that is for the whole person. And there's going to have to be a lot of teaching and explaining for you to understand why I just pulled that out of the text. Okay, so let, let me go there and let me try to explain why this is. Because to celebrate a love that is for the whole person is so critical. There, there's a, when you think of not just like a famous or what you think is the best wedding song, there's movie lines that have just been so significant around romance. Uh, one of those, you know, happened, I'll date myself, about 20 years ago, I believe it was, in a movie, where in the movie, the, the famous line is, you what? You, yeah, you're on it. You complete me. You, you complete me. And that's a scary notion. And by the way, that was a great movie line and a great quote, but there's never been a sequel. Because I'm pretty sure after the line, you complete me, life happened, and they realized, oh no, you didn't complete me, I'm still broken. Okay? Just throw that out there. Now, here's the thing. Jesus completes us, and we're whole people. And, and when you look at these verses and what's an interplay in there, you have her talking about, you know, anointing oil and smells and, and, and this love. And, and you'll hear her talk about this love that's burning within her. And then she mentions the name. And, and in Hebrew, anything that would indicate name had to do with the whole person. It wasn't just, my name is Brian. It was, Brian represents my whole being, my character, my actual who I am, my wholeness. And, and this is what she, we're beginning to see here as she is engaging in this way. Now this is so important to understand because the other thread running through this whole message today is Christ completes and we complement. And this, you, you'll hear this idea of Christ completes over and over and over. And, and you need to, we all need to embrace this idea because if we're looking for another human being to complete us, they're going to let us down and they aren't meant to live with that pressure. Come on, church. You see, what she's saying is, I love him and I love his name and his, his being and who he is. And, and that's an exciting thing. In fact, I want to I walk back a few years and, and show you some pictures of my bride, Cindy. We are uh, coming up in December on 21 years. We have four children. Come on. And uh, here is uh, one of my favorite pictures of us when we were engaged. This was like on one of those Kodak cameras, like actual film. Uh, I'm sorry it's not 4K or 5K or whatever's the K now. Uh, but, but this is us. And, and the difference that each of us saw in each other in that time and in that moment, this is the, the truth. She tells the story and I'll tell the story over and over. As we saw within each other a whole person that was becoming whole, right? We weren't just looking at the looks because truthfully, uh, I, I wasn't the, the, what she typically would look for. Oh, pastor. <laughs> no sympathy? 
I, and, and, and truthfully, she, she uh, it wasn't necessarily at that time what I was looking for. Ooh. <laughs> Different reaction. <laughs> Note to self, this will be a tough series. But what we saw in each other was this heart that was so surrendered and so given to Jesus that even actually at our wedding, you'll see this is the wedding cake. I mean, we went all in, you guys. We had a cross bigger than the cake. It's all we could afford at the time. We had actually not just wedding music, but we had worship and communion and the gospel as a part of our wedding ceremony. We were just so sold out and in you know, given to this. In fact, this next picture is uh, one as well, uh, just of her, like, you know, here's the cake, and, and I was scared to death, because I, I, she had made it clear, like, do not shove this in my face, um, and so I didn't. I was so scared, you guys, like, right, <laughs> uh, but I'm telling you, there was something in those early years that 20 plus years later has played out, which is, we haven't had a perfect marriage, we, we've had a marriage that in many ways we've, we've had to keep working on things and keep growing with each other. And, and I get that out there because I know Cindy's comfortable with that and she'll be up here in a couple weeks with me sharing as well. We want to normalize the fact that every relationship needs work. And, and that in those relationships, if we can get honest about it and we can begin to work with each other and Christ is at the center, he's the one that is doing this work of completing us and making us whole. And then we're there to complement each other. We're there to complement and, and, and be an addition to one another and encourage one another. Timothy Keller, a pastor and author, incredible book called The Meaning of Marriage, he says this in that book. He said, it is possible to feel you are madly in love with someone when it is really just an attraction to someone who can meet your needs and address the insecurities and doubts you have about yourself. Gulp. In that kind of relationship, you will demand and control rather than serve and give. The only way to avoid sacrificing your partner's joy and freedom on that altar of your need is to turn to the ultimate lover of your soul. And this is what I want to make sure we understand is while Song of Solomon is, is an interaction between a king and a princess, his bride, it's also pointing us to the need we have for Jesus to first and foremost be the lover of our soul, to be the one we turn to, as you even heard about in the, that incredible testimony earlier in the service. Now, as we walk through this, there's going to be some things that, that are here to help you, okay? And, and we've got a number of them, and I want to show you one now. If you go to our website, uh, we have a booklet that we've prepared. If you just go to pathwayvb.com slash lovebooklet, and you can download this if you need a hard copy and you're here in person. Uh, you can go out, out to our uh, Welcome Center. We've got some hard copies printed. If you're online, hey, what's up? Uh, our chat host is probably dropping the link for you right now. Now, in that, there's an exercise every week that kind of goes with the message. So let me show you this week's. This is uh, He Feels Loved, She Field Feels Loved. This is uh, from author Dale Burke and actually gives you the opportunity to talk about if, if Jesus is at the center and he's the one completing us and making us whole, then horizontally there should be things 
that are playing out in how we love and serve and give and meet the needs of the other. We shouldn't just be taking. Hello, church? And, and so this is designed for you to walk through and to have an honest conversation. That exercise is in there. I want to encourage you uh, to do that this week. Make time. Maybe it's 15, 20 minutes that you do that if you have uh, somebody in your life that you love that you need to do that with. Now, if you're not married yet, hold on to all this info. Like, you're hopefully going to have your standards raised, your boundaries set, and your convictions ready for whatever God has. Amen? All right. Let's go on in the text here in verse 4. It says, uh, in verse 4, draw me after you, let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. Then it is friends that begin to speak. They say, we will exalt you and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly, they do love you. If you're taking notes, love goals is to have, the second goal is that we have friends that encourage our first love. That we have friends that encourage our first love. You see, sometimes you can have friends that are doing more damage to the relationship, whether it's your relationship with God or your relationship with your spouse, than they actually are encouraging and helping it. Nobody's experienced this? You see, part of what's happening here is we see a picture of her friends, and her friends throughout the eight chapters of Song and Solomon are continually encouraging They're not gossiping, they're not dividing in many ways, they're not backbiting, they're actually encouraging this relationship. Sometimes we have to take a stock of the friends we have and ask the question, are they encouraging the first love or are they in some kind of weird competition with my spouse? (laughs) It is so quiet. Y'all okay? You good? So the sub-point to this is Christ completes. You're going to hear that over and over and over today. But the world competes. And the world often, when we don't have the right friends or the right people, are creating competition, creating a way of trying to take the place of that first love. And, and, and this is where, even in our relationship with the Lord, this is true. You have a world that is competing to get in the way of your relationship with Jesus. Even in a married relationship, if one spouse need is, is, I'll just kind of say it this way, is more needy than the other, if there isn't room within that to go to Jesus first to have those needs met, it's a recipe for toxicity and unhealth. You see, there has to be this celebration that, that I want you to first be with Jesus because when you're with Jesus, you're better for me. I'll tell you, like, my home, they know whether or not dad has been with Jesus. Because usually by the end of a day and definitely by the second day, if I haven't spent time with Jesus, ooh, my flesh comes back quick. Anybody? Where some of that orneriness, some of that selfishness, that neediness, that what about me? And so we learned early on to celebrate and to encourage the first love in our relationship, in our home. However that looks for each of you to celebrate that, hey, you need to be with Jesus first. When we were actually engaged, 
uh, it, it was, this was an interesting thing that was unfolding. I would call Cindy, uh, and this was like, for those of you that remember, this was, uh, th- this was a landline, okay? And, and it might have been a cordless landline, but it was a landline, right? And, and so I would call her on a landline, and when I would get her, it was like, all right, because I had got a round dial up, right? I didn't get that busy signal on the internet. Come on, y'all, you know you remember these days. And I finally got through to her, and I'm like, yes, I get to talk to her. And I'll tell you, so many times in those early days, she would actually make the statement, hey, I just got home from class, or I just got home from work. We met in our senior year of college. Both of us were working and going to school. And, And she would say, I haven't had time with Jesus yet. Call me in an hour. What? (laughs) Like, I love Jesus too, but y'all, I'm just being honest. Like, there came a point where I I had to work through with the Lord my jealousy of him. I'm like, well, you know, like, Jesus seems to be getting a whole lot of her, more of her than me. And and yet that's the exact thing as God worked in my heart that I realized was what would sustain us for the life, the calling, and the ministry that God had for us. What does it look like for you to have people in your life that are encouraging that first love, that, that relationship with Jesus ahead of and before everything else? In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, uh, it, it furthers this idea. It says, let us consider, now it's into community, right? Beyond the home, let us consider how do we stir one another up to love and good works, Not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We tomorrow launch into life groups and mid-sized gatherings and classes. Three of them I want to point out to you uh, that are, I, I believe, important for all of us in a series like this to realize are available. Monday night men, Wednesday night women, which also there's a Wednesday morning women now, And then Deep Love, which is a marriage class meeting opposite of Monday Night Men twice a month. All of these are resources for you. If you're like, I don't have anybody in my life encouraging my first love, church, you don't have any excuses. Because we're offering you all of these opportunities so that if you don't, you can find that. So I want to encourage you, engage in those. Take advantage. Let God work through this process, we truly are better together. Verse 5 through 7, let's continue in the text. She says, I am, this is now her, the princess. She says, I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Both of those would have been made probably out of a uh, goat skin. Uh, these were nomadic tribes that, that traveled. They were dark in color. And, and so she's using things they would be aware of to illustrate how she's feeling and what's going on inside of her. She says that in verse 6, Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. In that moment, what she's really saying is, Yo, quit staring at me. Like, will you just quit staring at me because I have a good suntan? Because I'm dark. Because in that day and age, that actually was an indicator of some degree of economic class. Because it meant that you weren't indoors taking care of yourself, you were outdoors taking care of other people's 
things, which is what she says next. She says here in verse 6, My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, she says, whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like the one who veils herself besides the flocks of your companions? So let's break this down. If you're taking notes, love goal, uh, the next love goal, the third love goal, is to have an open and honest relationship that shares our fears, our insecurities, and our failures. You see, she's being very open and honest in that text that she's feeling insecure about the way she looks, that in fact she's maybe failed in in taking care of herself in the way she wants to, that, that she carries in fact some wounds from her brother's, who were angry with her and forced her outdoors to take care of the vineyards, but not gave her time to take care of herself. This is so important for us to understand right out of the gate. When we come into a relationship with the Lord, he's not looking to you to to act like you got it all together. Isn't that good news? He's not looking at you and saying, hey, you're perfect, therefore I love you. He's looking at you and saying, hey, I know that you live in a broken world that has left you with some wounds. You've been through some stuff. You're still maybe in that stuff. But I'll send my son Jesus, who will love you, who will forgive you, who will begin working with his mercy and grace to make you whole and to make you more like him. But if we're not open and honest with him, but also with each other, we miss out on the healing and the work that God can actually do. And I love that she, in in verse 6, is acknowledging that she felt betrayed at some level by her brothers, that they were angry with her and forced her to do something, and that it kept her from taking care of herself in the way that she wanted to. I love how honest the word is. The sub-point under this, as you might guess, is Christ completes while the world wounds. And some of you are carrying wounds and things that are showing up in your relationships, whether you're married or single. And when those wounds begin to show up and we begin to ask somebody else to fix it or we begin to fight to protect from not getting wounded again, that creates an environment that is unhealthy. So back in July, Cindy and I had a Saturday morning. You ever had a Saturday morning? (laughs) Some of you that married a minute, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Y'all, we had a Saturday morning that I'll never forget. It was not because it was fun. It was not because it was easy. But it was because we got open and honest with each other and as we began to get open and honest after 20 years of marriage about that next level of health that next level of wounds that we needed to work through you need to know you you are a part of a church that has a board and a staff and a pastor that is being open and honest and is pursuing health and wholeness Cindy and I went to a marriage retreat a couple weeks ago God showed up 
God is continuing to show up as we decide that, that we're not going to hide anything. We're going to get it out and be open and honest. And the fight is not us versus each other. The fight is God fighting for us against an enemy that would love nothing more than to get in the way of God's work in our lives. And it's the same for you. And, I, and you're like, man, this guy is too real. Well, you got two choices, right? You say, wow, that's refreshing. Maybe I could be real too. Or you could say, I can't be that real. I'm going to go find another church. My heart is that we can normalize conversations like this during this season. Because we're all going through stuff. And she gets open and honest about it and, and, and identifies a couple of her wounds, a couple of her insecurities, and God works in that space. Romans 5 reminds us of Jesus' heart and what he does. It says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but check this out. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Please, if you're shaming your significant other for things that are in their past, you need to stop. Jesus does not shame us. It says, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So we look at this, there's some soul care that Jesus, I think, wants to invite us into. You, you can look at verse 6 and you could say, well, she's saying, because I was taking care of others' vineyards, I didn't take care of my own. And for some of us, that's exactly what God may say in this season is, listen, you've got some things you need to work through. You, you have some things that if you need to be open and honest and, 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 and allow me to take care of your soul and begin healing you. Self-care in many ways is what she's talking about in here. Self-care isn't selfish when the goal is a soul that is able to give God the glory. A soul that is whole is the goal. A soul that is whole give God, gives God the glory. And for some of you, you need to, to hear like God wants to do some work on your soul. He wants you to, because what did she say in verse 7? She said, I, in verse 6, I didn't take care of my own vineyard. And in verse 7, she said, where are you going to be at noon when you're resting so I can come rest and hang out with you? There's an invitation, I believe, from Jesus for soul care, to allow ourselves the space to be healed, to be made whole. But we have to be open and honest in that journey. Lastly, verses 8 through 17, I'm going to lay out the, the point here, the love goal. And I'll read the text to you because it's actually kind of funny. Uh, the love goal here is to love, cherish, and champion one another as Christ does for us. You know, when we give vows at a wedding, a traditional vow is to have and to hold, to love and to cherish through sickness and in health till death do us part. 
And, and that idea of love we often think about, but to cherish is another level. To cherish is to take delight in the other, to, to actually care about them in ways. And, I, and I'm just telling you, like, this over the last five years is where God showed up in my life and said, Brian, you have no idea how to cherish your wife. And I went, oh, I don't. And I had to be open and honest, and I had to begin to go on a journey that I'm still on today. Because if you don't know how, you still have the Holy Spirit in you and a God who says, I'll teach you. I'll help you. And so when we look at this, what they do next is they're demonstrating this love, this cherish, this delight in one another. They're also championing one another. And here's the premise and the principle. We, if you're married or you're about to get married, you now have set your standard for beauty. You've now set your standard for everything that somebody should be. Comparisons need to be set aside. The only thing we compare each other to is Christ. So if you're like, oh, I wish they were like so-and-so down the road. I wish they were like this spouse. I wish they were like this person. That is toxic, and that is not championing and cherishing who the Lord has given you. Come on, church. It's either conviction or you all are done, and it's going to be a real lonely Sunday next week. I trust his word, and I trust what he's showing us. Let conviction not create guilt or shame. Let us let it come to the Lord. Because he wants us to cherish and champion. And here's the thing. What does that look like? It looks like words of encouragement. It, it looks like loving the other in ways that they can receive. And, and just listen to this interaction in verses 8 through 17. They're going to go back and forth encouraging one another. And, it, and it's going to get a little weird. You ready? It says, if you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pastor your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Okay? Comparing to a mare, not another person. Again, there's more there. I don't have time. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewel. We will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. She then says, while the king was on his couch... My nard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. Now that's an important one because Engedi was a place that was safe, secure, and overflowing with water and thriving with life. She's saying, I can go to him. He's like that. It says, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Behold, you are beautiful, she says, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. Can you see how they're loving, cherishing, and championing one another? How they're encouraging one another? How they're celebrating love with one another? Gary Thomas, the author of a book called Cherish, says this. He says, to cherish something is to protect it, honor it, treat it with tenderness, nurture it, indulge it, and hold it dear. To cherish is to be filled with joy, not because your spouse brings you joy, but because you take joy in your spouse's joy. 
So we think about this. Christ completes, we champion. How are we doing? How are we doing with that? Because here's the reality. If we have a self-centered love, that's going to create a circus where a Christ-centered love is going to create communion. A self-centered love that puts you at the center creates a circus. Anybody else feel like you've been a part of a circus lately? And you think it's the other person, but it might be because you put yourself at the center. This is what God began to show me over the last couple months is, Brian, you've got some stuff to own. Some of the circus is because you've put yourself and your needs in a place that Jesus is supposed to be. And the beauty is when we put Jesus at the center and we begin to celebrate that kind of communion and harmony with him and with others, God works in ways that we'll never experience outside of him. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 to close says this, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. See, when we receive what Jesus did, we begin to receive his love and we begin to commune with him and we live selflessly and for him. Two questions to close today. For you to think about, are your love goals the same as God's love goals for you? Look over those four goals. Are your goals, are you defining winning in the same way that God does? Are your love goals his? And what does God need to do to to make your goals more like his? Secondly, is Jesus the starting point and the center of your love life? If you're single, that's the starting point. If you're in a relationship, get it centered on Jesus. If you're married, get it centered on Jesus. He's the one that is going to complete us. He's the one that's going to allow us to commune in the ways that we were meant to. I want to share with you as you grab the elements for communion today. If you don't have these as you came in, uh, just get your hand up. Our ushers will come around and get those to you. You're online, hopefully you've got bread or juice, a cracker or something like that that you could use. I I think this is so fitting when we think about who Jesus is, what he does for us, what he offers. As we go into a time, not just now, but in this series of recognizing that we can't do this without him. We desperately need him. And it's that communion with the Father and with one another that is offered, and and I just want to show you this definition of communion. This is from the Oxford Languages Dictionary. The, The first is that it's the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially when the exchange is on a mental or spiritual level. There's this communion that God invites us to with him and with each other. And then secondly, it's the service, which we're doing now, of Christian worship, at which bread and wine are consecrated and shared. So we're moving from the idea of with the self at the center, it's a circus, to what does it mean to have Jesus at the center, to really have communion. And I just want to encourage you as we receive this today,
you want to look at this wafer, the bread, it symbolizes Jesus' body. Jesus came not to shame, but to love. Not to guilt, but to convict. That we would receive his mercy and grace. That he would wash over us. That his body that hung on that cross was the sacrifice for our sins. Even the things that maybe we've done in our relationships recently. And part of coming to the communion table with Jesus to say, Jesus, here's some things I'm struggling with. Here's some things I need your forgiveness from. And as we confess our sin, he is faithful to forgive. The juice symbolizes his blood that we know to be an atonement. That blood is, the juice symbolizes this atonement, this covering over us. Jesus said, as often as you gather to remember me and to do this, And we do it because we need the gospel as much today as we did yesterday. Amen? So as we receive this today, I'm going to just pray over the elements. And then if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're online, start by raising your hand with our chat host. If you're here, please come forward. Let one of our pastors or staff or prayer partners pray with you to receive Jesus. And then may we all receive communion. And I'm doing it this way because some of you are, you you came with somebody. And part of the conversation right now is about that communion. To maybe take it with your spouse, to take it with your children, to take it as a household, right where you're at during this next song. We have people available to pray with you. Let's just let the Spirit lead. Because He's here. And He has so much more for us. And when his goals become our goals and the gospel becomes the good news it was meant to be, the moments like this heal and bring his spirit in ways that we're all craving, if we're honest. So let's bow our heads. Father, we love you and praise you. We thank you that you have some love goals that we're learning about. That Jesus, when we receive communion, We see the fulfillment, the fullness of love. That you laid down your life for us. That you died on that cross for our sins. That you were raised again three days later. That you demonstrated power over sin and suffering. That you are a healer and deliverer. That you bring freedom and wholeness. So Father, right now, we want to rise up. As your spirit moves, I pray that these elements of communion, that this bread and this juice would minister to our hearts in fresh and new ways. So Holy Spirit, come, bring your redemptive lift. We thank you for your body that hung on that cross. We thank you for your blood. We receive communion now and we receive your love. May we overflow with it as we move forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can receive it now. May the Lord bless it. You can wait a minute. You can take it with your spouse or whoever's with you. But as the Lord leads, let's worship him together as we close out the service.
If you'll stand, I'm going to pray a blessing over us. Then I'm going to ask the band to continue to just play. If you have children, please go get them. Uh, I'm so sorry. Uh, your marriage comes later after you save them from our kids' ministry um, and our leaders who are ready. But for anybody who doesn't have children, you don't need to rush out. I'm going to ask them to continue to play so we can linger. God's going to do some real heart work in this series. And his spirit is moving. So lean in. If you're a guest, we want to invite you to come out those doors. If you're on site, we have a gift. We'd love to welcome you. And uh, for the rest of you, once you feel it's time to leave the room, uh, check out our cafe. We've got some new floor, a new floor in there, and it looks pretty sweet. So go meet some friends. You're not alone. Amen. 
So let's pray. Father, we love you and praise you. We know that, Jesus, you are who we need. And may you be our starting point, our center. May we commune with you in new ways to be who you've called us to be in every relationship, to love you and love all people in our pathway. And as that begins in open and honest conversations, Father, within marriages, we pray for health and healing. We pray for singles to have conviction around what it means to put you first and to follow you with their life. God, we thank you for your word. May it continue to come alive and be active this week. And we pray a blessing on all of our discipleship groups and gatherings as they launch. Be with the leaders. Bring the people. May we spur each other on to love and good deeds and to be the church you've called us to be. We thank you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Go now and be the church.